Okay, we're beginning here on the top of Yudchedem and Aleph, about six lines down as the lines widen out. The Gemara here just discussed the 18 brachot, the Shemun Esrei, why the brachot are in the order that they're in and the sources for that. Now the Gemara goes back to the original statement, which was, Since the Tfilah was created by the Anshei Knesset HaGadolah, Shimon HaPikuli Ma'izdir. What was Shimon Apikuli setting up or putting together in front of Rabban Gamliel? The Shimon Esri was developed by the Anshei Knesset HaGadolah. What was his addition or what was his contribution here? The Gemara answers something similar to what we've seen before, which is Shachachum V'chazar V'sidrum. That the Anshei Knesset HaGadolah put it together, and then it fell into disuse or was forgotten exactly what they had put together. And he went ahead and relearned or reestablished that which was done before by the Anshei Knesset HaGdolah. So he put into place in the time of Rabban Gamliel, but he was putting into place something that already existed, but had fell into disuse or was not remembered well. And then he reestablishes the Shmon Esri, the 18 Brachot. Now the Gemara says, Beyond that which is determined here, the 18 Brachot, the Shmon Esri, a person can't go on and just put whatever he wants in and praise the Kodesh Baruch Hu. What is meant by the Pasuk, Who's the one who can speak about the greatness of Hashem? The one who can tell all of the praises of Hashem. So the mi na'e, the malel gvrot Hashem, who is appropriate to say over the gvrot, the greatness or the great wonders of Hashem? Only one who can tell everything that is worthy of praise to Hashem. And obviously that is not possible. Nobody can get all the praises that is worthy and therefore one is not able to praise Hashem or not able to Extend the Shmon Esrei beyond what was established by the Anshei Knesset Gedolah. Amar Rabbi Barchanan Rabbi Yochanan, Hamasaper b'Shivchos Shalakosh Baruch Hu Yoter Midai. Someone who speaks praise of Hashem too much, it's overkill. Nekar Min Olam, he's knocked out of the world. He's eliminated from the world. Shenemar, because the pasuk says, Hayisupar Lo Ki Adaber Imamar Ish Ki Yivula. So now the Wait, the, the Pashtura Pasuk is, was it told to him, Ki Adaber, when I would speak? Imamar Ish Ki Should a man wish that he is swallowed up? Now, the way the Rashi reads it is, I suparlo Ki Adaber. Is there someone who can tell over and speak about him? Imamar Ish Ki Because if someone does speak up, then certainly they will be swallowed up. I mean, in someone who t- attempts to give the praises of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, he will be swallowed up because a person is unable to do that properly. What is meant by the Pasuk? That praise awaits you, Hashem. Here the Gemara is playing on the word Dumia from the word Domeim, Dome, to be silent. Which is the Chadumia Tila. To you, silence is praise. Sama Dukula Mashtoka, the medicine that is the salve of all things, is Mashtuka, is silence. Kiata of Dimi, Ame Amrebim Marova, they say in Eretz Yisrael, this is the way they express it is. Mila Besela, 
that if you're willing to pay a sela for words of wisdom, meshtuka betrain, you'd be willing to pay two sela for silence. And that silence is more expensive than people giving speaking or giving their words. That sometimes the silence is more important and the more appropriate response or the way that one should conduct themselves in front of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and that's what it means here, that sometimes the salve, the medicine, is just to be silent. Or sometimes to be silent is worth more than speaking up. And that's true with regards to the praise of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. The Gemara in Brachot asks in a similar way about the Shimon Esri, there it says, Akela Gadola Gibor Vanura, over there it speaks about how come we can't keep going on and on and on. And the Gemara there says, Siyam Teshvach Ademari, have you finished saying all the praises of Akarish Baruch Hu? So the Gemara says, well then how can we say Akela Gadola Gibor Vanura? How can we say that? We didn't finish saying all the Shvachot Vashem. Gemara there says it's because Moshe Rabbeinu already expressed that praise to Hashem. So we're able to lift that which is written in Tanakh. And we can utilize that to praise the Kodesh Baruch Hu. So if we use something that's already given to us, then we can give praise to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. From that also derives many of the slichot and many of the different poems that we have that we read as part of the liturgy, that they follow an acrostic or they follow the Aleph Bet. And that is because then they have a natural end to them. So if you were to write something, then you have the problem of the Gemara and Brachot, the problem over here, which is, how could you stop? How could you end at any given point? There's so much more to say. There's so much pray, more praise for Hashem. There's so much more to ask. But if you do it through a artificial measure, like something like the Aleph Bet, then you stop because, not because you finished up the praise of Hashem, but because the letters of the Aleph Bet have run out. So there you can use an artificial way to meter or measure out your praise to a Kodesh Baruch Hu without running into that problem. So that's basically how we deal with this issue, is that we either take praise from psukim, that give us the right to say them because they are psukim already and they're part of the canon, or we use self-metering type of praise to a Kodesh Baruch Hu, or quest from a Kodesh Baruch Hu, which end of themselves, because they have some sort of order or acrostic to them, rather than something that just ends because oh, we finished saying whatever we were supposed to to a Kodesh Baruch Hu. And that's what's meant over here, that sometimes being silent. Even though you know that Hashem deserves much praise and deserves much more than we can say, sometimes being silent is more impressive because if you try to or attempt to speak out all the praise of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, you fall short. But if you're silent, at least that remains, that endless or that inability to express all the praise of a Kodesh Baruch Hu is shown by the fact that you're silent because you can't say it all. Right now, the Gemara continues with what was said in the Mishnah, which is, Karal pe lo yatsa. person reads it by heart, donat yotzei. Minalon, how do you know that you can't read the Megillah by heart? Samarova, atya zechira, zechira. Zera shavav, zechira, zechira. Tivachav, yamim ayilin iskarim. Ochtivhotam, and it's written by Amalek. In the end of Parshat, Bishalach, Tov, Zot, Zikaron, Basefer. Malahalan b'sefer, akan b'sefer. Just like over there it says, zot zikaron, the zikaron is b'sefer, is in a book. So too, avkan b'sefer. Where it says, umimai dahai zikira kriyahi. Okay, I agree with you that you have to put it into a sefer. That means that the Megillah must be written. 
It must become from a sefer. How do you know that this chirah that is mentioned here means you must read that sefer? Maybe it just means to look at it, to glance at it, to see it. Who says you have to actually articulate that which is written in this sefer? Because the Tanya, Zachor, when it comes to Mechiat Amalek that's found in Dvarim, by Pasha Kitetze, it says, Zachor, Yechol Belev. Zachor, you must remember, you would think that means that you must remember in your heart. Shomer lo tishkach, when the Psukim over there says you may not forget, Arei Shechrat Alev Amur. That already says that you may not forget, that it's the Lev. So what is Zachor? Zachor now must be something more active, which is Bepeh. I mean, something that you have to articulate, you have to say. We have that in other places as well. We have it by Zachor, Yom HaShabbat, the God Show. That over there, Zachor also is understood to mean you must articulate the Kedushat Shabbat. You have to say Kiddush. That's where we get from Zachor, Yom HaShabbat, the God Show. That you have to be Mikadesh, the Shabbat. And that's through an active articulation of the Kedushat Shabbat or through Kiddush. So also over here, Mechiat Amalek, to remember Mechiat Amalek, consists of two things. One is that you must remember. That means that in your heart, you must know, you must remember. But it also requires articulation of it. And so to over here, by the Zikaron that is mentioned by the Megillah, that Zikaron is not simply to remember, to glance at it. It means to articulate, to say it. So you have two requirements here. One requirement is that it come meets Socha Sefer. has to be written, has to be read out of a book. And that's the requirement to read it from the Megillah. And number two is, when you read it from the Megillah, you must read it or articulate it and say it out loud. And that comes out of the fact that Zechirah, and obviously the examples that are brought here in the Gemara, are two examples of Mechiat Amalek, which, as we saw before earlier in the Mesechta, that the Megillah itself is another manifestation of Mechiat Amalek in the showdown between Mordechai and Haman HaAgagi. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean other times in the Torah where we, there's a requirement to remember? You see, I think there, in those instances, I mean, there are, there are people who believe that those Zachor require articulation, but they don't require mitocha sefer. I think that's what's different about all the others, which is that you do have to remember them, and many people have them in the Sidur where you should say them and read those psukim, but they don't have to be mitocha sefer. I think that here, as well as Kriyat Amalek, both require Kriyat Mitocha Sefer, which makes them much more important and a focus of the Kriyat. Right now, the Mishnah continues, Kriyat Hargum Lo Yatsa. If you read the translation into Aramaic of the Megillah, then you're not Yotze. Afterwards, it says also, Kriyat if you read it in any language, Lo Yatsa. And as Rashi says, that Zu ain't Tzarech Lamar Zuktani, means not only this, of course, you can't read it in any language. But even Targum, even the Aramaic, you can't read it. So that's what the Gemara says that Aramaic and certainly other languages you can't read it. So now, the Gemara wants to understand, Hey, dami, what is this case? That the Megillah is written in Hebrew, and then you translate it on the fly, and you read it in Aramaic on the fly. That's no different than reading it by heart. And that Kriya Mitocha Sefer requires that you read what is written in the Sefer. If you're articulating something that's not written in the Sefer, then it's equivalent of reading by heart. The case in the Mishnah where you may not do it is if the Megillah is written in Targum, and you read it in Targum, that's when we say it doesn't work. Then the Mishnah says that you can read it to those that understand foreign languages, 
or languages besides Hebrew, you can read it to them in that language. And as we mentioned when we did this in the Mishnah, here the Gemara says, didn't you just say, if you read it in any other language, you're not Yotze. So how do I reconcile between the fact that the Mishnah says you may not read it in any other language versus the Mishnah now saying that if you read it in a language that you understand, you're Yotze. So Rambu Shmuel Damre Tarvayu Bilaz Yivani. Here we're talking about the language that is Greek. Hechidami. Again, what's the case here? If you tell me that it's written in Hebrew, and he's reading Greek, again, that's reading it by heart. So it can't be that. But rather, it must be, it's written in Greek. It's written in Greek. And you read it in Greek, then you're okay. That's what Rav and Shmuel suggest over here. So here we have another statement, an agnotic statement by Rav Acha which takes us off course for a second. And then we'll come back to the sukya here, but since there's another agadic statement by the same Amora, the Gemara brings them together, which is, How do we know that Kodesh Baruch Hu calls Yaakov Kel, the, a powerful one, a god, Shinemar? Because it says, so Here it's a reference to the story when Yaakov buys the Sadeh outside of Shechem. After he buys the Sadeh outside of Shechem, he brings pills of Mizbeach, and when it says, when he builds that mitzmech, it says, Vayikralo kel elokei Yisrael. So the pashtut of the pasuk is that Yaakov called the mitzbeach kel elokei Yisrael. Rashi over there comments on the fact that it doesn't mean necessarily that he called the mitzbeach that, but rather through that mitzbeach, the kel elokei Yisrael was known or made known. But here he has the Gadic interpretation is that it must be that a Baruch Hu is calling Yaakov kel. If you think that, like the Pashtura Pasuk, that Yaakov is calling the Mizbeach Kel, then he should say, He should say, Yaakov called it Kel. Ella, what does it say here? It says, That rather, Yaakov himself is called a Kel. And who called him a Kel? Elokei Yisrael, the God of Israel. That's the Agatic interpretation over here, that Yaakov is also known as a Kel. Or, I guess the proper interpretation would be here, the same way that we would have said it about the Mizbech itself. Not that the Mizbech itself is the God, but rather through the Mizbech, God is well known, it becomes known to the world. So, if we can say that about the Mizbech, we can say it about Yaakov Avinu himself. That Kro Kel means that the manifestation of God is seen through Yaakov Avinu. And that's what it means that okay, so calls him Mikel, that God is seen through this individual. Right now, the Gemara continues here, and that goes back to the topic that we're on, which is this idea that when you read in a foreign language, that you can be Yotze, versus if you read in a foreign language, that you're not Yotze. So the first attempt to reconcile with Rav and Shmuel is that it's a difference in Greek. Every other language, if you read in that language, you're not Yotze. With Greek, you are Yotze. So now the Gemara says, Meitave. If you read in any of these languages, then you're not Yotze. Ivrit is the Lashon of Ivrahanahar. Elamit is from Elam, where Shushan is the capital, some sort of Persian dialect. Madit is Media, Ivanit, Greek. Giftit, I think, is one of the African dialects. Loyatza, then you are not Yotze. If that's the case, then Yivanit here is included in one of those items that you read and you're not Yotzei. So says, no, 
Uh, this is not, you got the wrong comparison to the Brighta that we just quoted. There's another Brighta, and that's what it's more like. Elaha. Giftit, the Giftim. Ivrit, the Ivrim. Elamit, the Elamim. Yivanit, the Yivanim, Yatsa. So here, the other Brighta says, if you read to an individual in their language, then they are Yotze. So the distinction between these two Brightot is, the one Brighta says, if you read in a foreign language, you're not Yotze, that's when you don't understand the language. Whereas the second Brighta says, if this is your vernacular, this is your language, then you are Yotze the Megillah. And that's what it's meant over here. Mar says, well, if that's the way that you're going to learn the mission now, Why does Rabbi Shmuel only set up our Mishnah to be talking about Greek? Then it makes no difference. It doesn't have to be just Greek. It can be any language. The explanation of our Mishnah is now understood through the Brighto, which is the part of the Mishnah that says that if you read in any language, you're not Yotze. That is for someone who does not understand the language. On the other hand, if you read in a language that a person does understand, then you are Yotze, and that's the meaning of the Mishnah. That's the difference in the two stages of the Mishnah. Now, Ram and Shmuel themselves, they are, their statement is an independent statement, has nothing to do with our Mishnah, which is, Rav Shmuel, they believe with that the Rabbeinu Hananel expresses it here, which is for Rav and Shmuel, Greek has the same status as Lashona Kodesh, which is that just like by Lashona Kodesh, which we said in the Mishnah, if you read it as Shurit, your Yotze, even if you don't understand it, so too by Yivani, so too by Greek. If you read it in Greek, it's not limited to the Yivanim. It can be written to anybody in Lakol Kasher. Now, Gemara says, Vaktani Yivanim Yivanim. Wait a minute, didn't you just say, that with the Brighta, when it comes to Yivanit, Yivanim in Lakuli Amalo, it's only good for Greeks, but it's not good for everybody else. It says, Imu Ka'amarki Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. They hold like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, who we saw back on Daf Chedamudbet, that Rabbi Shimon Gamliel argues in the Mishnah that Greek has a unique status, and Greek is different than any other language. That Svarim can only be written in Greek. So the lameru alocha k'Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. So then, why don't they make a much simpler statement, which is the alocha is like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel? Iamri alocha k'Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. If you said the alocha is like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, have a mina hani milay shar sferim. That's true by other books. Avam megillah by megillah it doesn't work. Tichtev ba kichtavam because over there it says kichtavam kizmanam and kichtavam akil shonam that it was written in the language of the people, meaning only that language, the language of the lashon hakodesh. So emalo. You would say it wouldn't work, that that's not the case. And uh, if you remember from the Gemara earlier on, this presents us with a number of issues, two main issues, which is that the Gemara earlier on, first of all, said that Rabbi Shimon Gomli, or one of the distinctions the Gemara made there, which is Ein Bain, in terms of Sfarim and the Megillah, is that Sfarim or other Sfarim can be written in Greek, but the Megillah cannot be written in Greek. And that was one of the distinctions that was drawn there by the Amoraim. Tosafot over there comments on that and says, well, this statement of Rabin Shmuel over here disagrees with that. And in the end, that's what he concludes, that there is actually a machloket between the two sugyot. And that the Amora over there makes such a distinction, does not subscribe to the position of Rabin Shmuel. The possibility of why Greek is unique is for one or two reasons. The Gemara before comments on that and says the reason that Greek is so unique is because they learn it out of the Pasuk. 
that Yefet has a special place within the Ohel of Shame. And the Gemara over there says it has to do with Yavan, the son of Yefet, because their language has that unique status. And therefore, it's Betochol Shame. That's one way to view it, and that the Gemara discusses earlier. The other way to look at it is that Greek was viewed as more of a universal language, which is that there were languages spoken in every area, but the common language that was spoken by everybody, everywhere you went, was Greek. And therefore, Greek has that unique status of being a, I call it an international language. It might be akin to English today, which is that it became the language of communication, even though not everybody speaks English, but on the international forum, that's where people speak. Despite the fact that they come from different languages, their communication or language of communication is sometimes English because that's, quote-unquote, the international language. Obviously, it has an afkamina today as to whether Greek maintains the status because of that pasuk of yaftel kimiyofet or is the language today that was Greek then is English today, so maybe English takes on that status today of what Greek had in that time period. It's a difference in how you view why Greek is unique over here. Right now, the other thing is that the Gemara earlier on says that a Megillah that has to be written in Ashurit, you can't write it in any other language. So how do you reconcile that with this Gemara? This Gemara over here says that you can read in foreign languages and be Yotzeh. According to Rabbi Shmuel, you can read Greek, and can be Yotzeh for everybody, or Motzi everybody. Everybody agrees that if you read in a language that a person understands, you're also Yotzeh. So how do we reconcile that with the fact that the Megillah has to be written in Ashurit? So Tosafot earlier on, there's a Tosafot back on Chetamud Bet that deals with this issue and tries to reconcile between our Gemara and the Gemara back on Chetamud Bet. And over there, Tosafot discusses the fact that there are different statuses with regards to a Sefer that is written in Ashurit versus a Sefer that is written in any other language. And that's what he writes over here. Mm-hmm. So Tazvet says that something that's written in Hebrew takes on a kedusha, meaning that it's kitve hakodesh, because anybody could read it and be yotze, even if you don't understand the language. And therefore it's mitame yadayim, because it has the status of kitve hakodesh. On the other hand, any other language, when you write the Megillah in that language, it doesn't have a status of kitve hakodesh. It's sufficient to be called a sefer that if you read from it, you can be Yotze the Megillah, but it's not on a high enough status to create or have it be called Kitve HaKodesh. And that's how he reconciles between the Gemara before that demands that it be written in Ashurit in order to be considered a Megillah or part of Kitve HaKodesh. And Argum over here, which seems to imply that you can do it in any language. The other Rishonim, like the Riaz and the Gra who say that the reconciliation of this Gemara is that if you're going to read it in a foreign language for people to understand, it must be transliterated. It has to be written in Hebrew, on a sefer, but if you're going to read it in a foreign language, then you have to transliterate it through the Hebrew letters. And by doing so, you now reconcile the two Gemara, the Gemara over there that demands a shurit in order to be Kitve Kodesh, as well as the fact that over here you can read it in a foreign language. So it has to be written in Hebrew letters, on a sefer, on a cloth. Just question of what the Hebrew letters say. Do they spell out the Hebrew words, or do they transliterate and spell out the foreign language through the Hebrew letters? And so that would be the way that you could be mostly someone in terms of using a foreign language. There 
are those that believe that you can use a chumash to fill in, which we're going to see in a second, to fill in words that you miss along the way, but you cannot read the entire Megillah from a chumash because we just saw before the requirement that it be done to Sefer, that it be done out of a book, be done out of something that is written, written meaning in the, in the status of a Sefer. And Tosva just lowers that threshold and says that a Sefer doesn't necessarily have to be something that's Kitveh Kodesh, but it has to be something that has all the trappings of Kitveh Kodesh, but never attains that status just because it's not written in Hebrew. It's, that's one of the issues, again, in terms of reconciling between that Gemara before. And then, again, we discussed the other issue, which is that Rav and Shmuel over here say that Rabbi Shem Gamliel says that Greek is unique. And Greek is so unique that you can even read the Megillah in Greek for people who don't understand it. That doesn't necessarily reconcile with some of the distinctions that we made back on Chedem Bet, and that the Amora that makes that distinction, who says that Rabbi Shimon Gamliel believes that you cannot write a Megillah in Greek, is obviously arguing on this. This is on Ted Amor Aleph. Tosot says, Sarech Lomar, Ein Sover, the Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Kai Kavate, the Rabbi Shmuel. To the Kaman. He holds that Rabbi Shimon Gamliel does not hold the Rabbi Shmuel later on. the Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Lohitim Megillah, Le Shurit. He believes that Rabbi Shimon Gamliel believes you can only write it in Shurit, and you cannot write it in Greek. So Rabbi Shmuel disagree with, or the Amoro who makes that distinction, disagrees with Rabbi Shmuel and our Gemara over here. The other reason to be, or be more makeel with regards to a Megillah, and why you would think that Kichtavam is a requirement to say that it must be written in the proper way, versus any other Sefer in Tanakh, why would you think the Megillah is unique? Is because the Megillah itself is called an Igeret, it's called a letter. So since it's called an Igeret, you would have thought that maybe there's room to be mekil by the Megillah and to have a different din by Megillah than you have by any other Sefer in Tanakh. The answer in the end is no. Kichtavam. The Kichtavam tells you that no, you must do it like you would do any other Sefer in Tanakh. And therefore the only thing that works here is either Ashurit or Yivanit according to Rabbi Shimon Gamliel. But it's not a free reign. You can't use any language or cannot be written in any language. Right now, the Gemara continues. Anybody who hears in Hebrew is Yotze. Now here we have a very important statement of the Gemara. Well, if he listens to it in Hebrew and doesn't understand Hebrew, then what have you accomplished? They don't understand what you're reading. It's similar to the women and the Amearetz who don't understand what's being read. So here, this is an important statement of the Gemara. It's true all the way through the time of the Rishonim and almost into the modern era, which is that in terms of service of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, most people had two languages. They had the vernacular, the language that they spoke in whatever country they lived in. And then they had the language of the religion, the language of their religious practice, which was Hebrew. So there was a separate language that was designated for Avodat Hashem, and that language was Hebrew. Not everybody learned Hebrew, and not everybody understood Hebrew, especially the women in the Amearats who were not taught Hebrew. They knew the common language because they spoke the common language, but they never knew Hebrew because they never studied Hebrew or they never learned in Hebrew. That's something that the Gemara comments on here, which is that the Nashim and Amearats don't know Hebrew and they don't understand what's being said when it's being read to them in Hebrew. Now, in the modern era, that's changed for two reasons. One is that nowadays the women are educated as well, and so they also understand Hebrew. But we also have something different now in Eretz Yisrael, which is the first time in 
a very long time and more than 2,000 years, which is that the common language of the people is also the language of the practice of religion, which is that there's no longer a language that's separate for religious practice. Now the Hebrew that's spoken on the street is the same Hebrew that's used in the service in Avodat Hashem. And so therefore the understanding of the Avodah and the understanding of Tefillah and everything that's being read is open to the common or open to everybody now because the language is common between the spoken language and the practice, the religious language of religious practice, which is something that's very different than what had transpired for 2,000 years and what led to a lot of this problem or the distinction or the statement that the Gemara makes here, which is that Nashim and Amayaretz don't understand what's being read in the Megillah. Simat Kivla Ravina, Atu Anan. What about us? What do we do with the words, Ahachashtaranim Bnei Aramachim Yadinan? Do we know what those words mean? Ela mitzvah kriya upresume nisa. The mitzvah is to read the Megillah and to be mefarsim nenes. Hachanami mitzvah kriya upresume nisa. Here too, the mitzvah is to read it and upresume nisa. Now, what does that mean that the chashteranim b'nei rachamim miyadinan? So here, the statement is that we don't know how to translate those words. That's one possibility of reading it. Or, those words are clearly Persian words, and yet we read them even though we can't translate them into Hebrew. We may know what they mean in Persian, but we still never get them into Hebrew because we don't know how to translate them. We don't know how to say them in Hebrew, so therefore we just use the Persian version of the words. Ah, what do they mean? In context, we know what they mean. In context, we know that it means these are the messengers. These are the people that were sent out to bring the messages or the delivery of the items or the decrees of the king. So contextually, we understand what they mean. But exactly what they mean, that we may not know. And the way that the Rabbeinu Hananel says it is, that the Nashim and the Aramei don't know what the words Achashteranim B'nei Ramachim mean. So he obviously has a different gears in the Gemara. Over here, the way our Gemara reads is that we don't know what those words mean, and therefore the women and the Amiarits who don't know what the whole Megillah means are in no different status than we who don't understand parts of the Megillah. The way that the Rabbeinu Hanano has the gears is that this is what the women and the Amiarits don't understand because these words are complex or Persian words that are not obviously translated. As Rashi explains over here, about what does it mean that you kriya? Kriya means that you read it in Hebrew, so you yotze through the kriya and presume nisa. So Rashi explains, even if they don't know exactly what they're hearing, they ask the people around them who are listening, and they say, what is this that we're reading? And what transpired here? What was the nas? And then they tell them. So there are two things that come out of Rashi. First of all, Pursume Nisa isn't necessarily hearing about the story. It has to prompt you to ask the question about what transpired. That's what the Pursume Nisa is. The Pursume Nisa is simply a facilitator, or a trigger, for you to ask a question about what transpired. The second thing you see from Rashi is that you don't need to know everything or every single detail of the story. You need to know generally what took place in the story. And both of those are the accomplishment of Pursume Nisa. So one must hear the entire Megillah. One must hear every word read. But what one gets out of the Megillah are two things. One is that they must ask a question or they must realize that something miraculous happened over here. And number two is they must have some sense of what that miracle is in a summary form. And again, that might explain what the Gemara is saying about which is that in context you can understand what they mean. So so to over here, the Pursume Nisa is a contextual requirement, which is that you hear the whole Megillah written, and then may not understand every word of the Megillah, may not even understand any of the words of the Megillah, but you understand 
generally what's being conveyed over here, and then context, that's enough that you understand the context or you understand what is being said generally, not every detail or every word that is being sent. So there's two different mitzvot, which is basically the Mars bifurcating the mitzvah between the kriya and the pursume nisa. The kriya is a simple requirement to hear every word that's written, either in a language that you understand, or in Hebrew, where you hear every word of the Megillah. And then the Prasume Nisa, which is a separate requirement, is that you at least have a sense of what transpired over here. Or it triggers within you a question about what happens, and then you learn about the story of the Megillah. And that's separate from the Kriya itself. The Kriya may be a facilitator of that, but it's not the absolute Prasume Nisa that's generated through the Kriya. And now the Gemara moves on to the next line in the Mishnah, which is Kara Serugin Yatsa. If you read it piecemeal, then you're Yotze. So as opposed to a Korea Mafreya, if you read it out of order, you're not Yotze. Over here, if you read it in sections or in pieces, you're Yotze. We had a similar Gemara in Rosh Hashanah with regards to Tkiah, that a person who blows the shofar over the entire day, the nine kolot that they require until over the entire day, that's where Biochanan says over there, then Yatza. Yotze, the mitzvah of Tkiot. So they don't have to be done sequentially. They can be done over a period of time in intervals. So now we have a Gemara, again, that we saw in Rosh Hashanah, it's the identical Gemara, which is a series of words which the Gemara tells us that the Chachamim were not aware of. These are Hebrew words that are either found in the Mishnah or in Tanakh, but they needed them to be translated. And then once they're translated, they understand what the words mean. They didn't know what the exact definition of Serugin was. They heard the maidservant in the house of Rabbi saying, She said to Rabbanon, that when they were entering piske piske, they were coming in dribs and drabs and piecemeal. When they came in, the Rabbi in that way, How long is it going to be that you come in in serugim serugim? How long is it going to be coming in these intervals or in this piecemeal fashion? So now they understood what serugim means. Serugim means exactly that. You read it in piecemeal or in intervals. They didn't know what this word meant. There are different translations of it. Some say it's purslane. Others say that it is Podolux. She was saying to this individual, He was, again here there's different translations, some say he was peeling Parpechine, which again is either purslane or Podolux. Or Mivader means he was scattering the seeds. He was putting the seeds out. She goes, how long are you going to scatter the seeds or throw these peels around? So, when he was doing this, she said to him, how long is it going to be that you're going to spill out or put your peels all over the place of this? Or how long is it going to be that you are seeding or spreading out these seeds of the? So now they knew what the word meant. They now know that is synonymous with they knew what it was. So now they understood what it was. Again, whether it's purslane or this podolux, they now knew the definition of the word because of the way that the maidservant of Rabbi's house spoke to this individual. They didn't understand the word So it says there about wisdom. It's talking about bina or understanding wisdom that that whoever exalts her she will promote you. She was saying to this young man, He was playing with his hair, twisting his hair. How long are you going to be twisting or playing with your hair? If you look in Rashi on 
the pasuk by Yosef that he was ben Shvasre, that he was a nar. Over there, Rashi's comments that he's misalsel b'saro, that he used to play with his hair, he used to, you know, uh, primp himself up. That's what misalsel b'saro means, to twist it or to play with your hair. It's used in modern Hebrew as well, misalsel b'saro. But that's now the understanding of what the pasuk means. Misalsel means to turn over or to play with. So that means that here, salsala, the one who exalts it or the one who gives uh, attention to wisdom, Uttaramameka, it will give back to you, it will promote you. Rabbana did not know what the Pasuk means that you throw upon your Hashem. Yahavcha means your burden, but they didn't know what the word meant. So, We're going along with this Arab merchant, and I was carrying this large burden or bundle on my back. Take your load, and put it onto my camel. So now they understood what Yahvecha means, your burden. So it means, Throw on Hashem your burden. Obviously, it's a little difficult to understand how the Arab merchant knew the definition of the word versus the Chachamim, but it might be that they were looking for the definition of Yahvecha over here. Is Yahvecha mean that you can throw on Hashem and you can ask Him without providing payment, without doing anything. You can throw your burden upon Hashem. Or does Yahavcha mean that there is a quid pro quo, there's some sort of give and take, that you have to give to a Kodesh Baruch and then he'll give to you. So that might be what they're asking about Yahavcha. The Yahavcha means that you throw the burden on without any compensation. And that's what happened here with the Tayyad, the Arab merchant, when he said to Rabbi Barchano, throw your load on here, and he didn't charge it for him, didn't charge him for it, even though he should have charged it for him, for putting the load on there. That's like the Avchol over here, that we can ask or throw our burden upon a Kodesh Baruch Hu, and we don't have to pay anything, in the sense that we can even ask, even when we're not deserving, even when we haven't done anything, we can still throw our burdens upon Hashem and say, Hashem, we need your help. Hashem, we need you to intercede on our behalf. The translation of the Pasuk is that I will sweep it away with a broom of destruction. This is a description of what Ashkosh Baruch was going to do to Yerushalayim and to the people of Yerushalayim. So then they say, They heard the maidservant of Rabbi's house saying to her friend, Take the broom, and sweep up the house. So then they knew what the word meant. They knew that the word meant to sweep, the verb, and the noun was a broom. So again, used in modern day Hebrew as well, in terms of a broom and to sweep. Okay, now the Gemara moves on. If you read it in intervals, if you read it in piecemeal, you're Yotze. If you do it, Sirus. Lo and Rashi tells us what does Sirus mean? Many times the Gemara says, flip around the Pasuk, turn around the Pasuk and be Doreshit. means out of order. So if you read it out of order, that's what we said before, the Mafreya, you're not Yotze, but Seirugin, you are Yotze. Rabbi Muna, Omer Mishum, Rabbi Yehuda, Af B'Seirugin. Even when you read it in piecemeal, Im Shaha Kedeli Gmoret Kula Chuzer Rosh. If you wait enough time to finish the entirety, then you have to go back to the beginning. So Amar Rav Yosef, Halacha Ki Rabbi Muna. Shamar Mishum Rabbi Yehuda. 
Halacha is like Rabbi Muna in the name of Rabbi Yehuda. Amalei Abayi, the Rabbi Yosef, Kedei Ligmor et Kula, Mecha Dikai, the Seifa, Odomi Reisha, the Seifa. When you say that it's enough time to finish it, does that mean from wherever you are, say in the Megillah, wherever you are in the Megillah, to wherever it would take you to finish it, that's how much time you have between the piecemeal times that you read it? Or is it from beginning to end of the Megillah? That's the determination of how big a gap you can have. Samalei, Rav Yossi says back to his Talmud Abaye, Mereisha the Seifa. It must be that it's a case of reading from beginning to end of the Megillah. Because if not, then it would make it that you have a subjective amount of time that's left, depending where you're found in the Megillah, or depending where you're found in Kriyachma, or all these other areas where if you read it in piecemeal, you'd be Yotze, that it would matter where you are located inside of that saying, whether it's Kriyachma or Megillah, and then that would determine how much of an interval you could have. That means that it becomes a subjective matter. And we know that generally when the Chachamim establish Shurim, those Shurim are objective rather than subjective. So in order to be objective, it means that you have to have had enough time to finish or complete the entirety of that item, because then it will be objective and everybody will have the same interval that you can have. That's how Rav Yosef explains it. So we have in the name of Rav that the Allah is like Rabbi Muna. That the is not like Rabbi Muna. Now, over here, when you have a Machokit Rav and Shmuel, we would generally pass them like Rav, because here we're talking about Yisurim. And when it comes to Yisurim, Halacha Kirav. But you can see over here that the Ein Mishpat Ner Mitzvah is on Ein Halacha Kirav, Muna, which is what Shmuel's statement. So now, Besura Matnu Hachi, that's how they learned it in Surah. Bepumpa Dita Matnu Hachi, they said it this way, Amarav Ghana, Amarav Halacha Kirabi Muna, Shmuel Amar Ein Halacha Kirabi Muna. Now, the attribution is the same in terms of Rav and Shmuel, which is a question of who quoted it in the name of Rav here. Whether it was Rav Kahana who quoted in the name of Rav, or was it Rabbi Yabba in the name of Rav? But then we have Rabbi Matni Ipcho. Rabbi reverses the attribution here and says, Rav Amar ain Muna. Shmuel Amar Rabbi Muna. Rav says Allah is not like Rabbi Muna. And Shmuel says Allah is like Rabbi Muna. So Amar Rav Yosef Nakut Rabbi Biadech. He says, You should follow this statement of Rabbi, meaning that the attribution is Rav says the Allah is not like Rabbi Muna, and Shmuel says the Allah is Rabbi Muna, the Shmuel who the Chayish Lechidah, because we find in other places that Shmuel is Choshesh for a Dat Yachid, even though there's a Rabbim that argue on him, but if the Yachid is Machmir, he's Choshesh for that Shita, the Tanan, we have a case, Shomeret Yobam, Shikidesh Achiv et Achuta. You have a brother who passed away, and he left over a wife where he hadn't had children. Then you have numerous brothers who could possibly be miyabim this woman. The mitzvahs we're going to learn in the Gemara in Yavamot is the mitzvah begadol, that the eldest child performed the yibum in this case. So someone other than the eldest child wants to marry a sister of this woman that was the wife of the brother that passed away. So we're going to say to him, Amrim lo hamtem, wait, Wait until your older brother takes care of the situation. Let your older brother either be miyabim, the yivama here, or do chalitza with her, whichever he wants to do. And after that's completed, you should go ahead and then you can marry the other sister. There's no problem with two brothers marrying two sisters. But right now, you may not do it. Now, the machloket here between Rabbi Yudim and Mateira and the Chachamim, as to whether you have to wait or not, has to do with a concept called zikata yibum. 
Tikata Yemibu means that you have some sort of connection to the Yivama. The Chachamim believe, and this is the argument here, that you have no Zikat Yibum. When you have multiple brothers, each of which could perform the Yibum, and the mitzvah is directed towards the eldest brother over there, then you don't have any real connection to this woman because you're not necessarily the one who will marry her. There are numerous people who can marry her. And therefore, there's no connection between you and this Yivama that would force you to wait till someone does something before you marry the sister. On the other hand, Rabbi Huda Mimtera says that you have a connection to this woman, even though you're one of many people that could perform the Yibum here, all of you are connected to this woman until that relationship is severed by one of the brothers, either doing Yibum with her or doing Chalitza with her. But all of you have a connection to her, a connection that is strong enough to restrict you from marrying her sister. Because it would be the equivalent of marrying two sisters. You're already married to this woman, even though you're not really married to her. You're married to her because you have a connection to her and you could possibly perform Yibum with her. That connection is enough to stop you from marrying her sister. That's the position of Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera over here. And Amr Shmuel, Allah is Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera. Even though Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera over there is a Dat Yachid, Shmuel says Allah is like Rabbi Yehuda ben Betera, he's Machmer and Allah is like him. So Rabbi Yosef says that the same thing over here. Let's assume that Shmuel thinks Allah is like Rabbi Muna because he's a Dat Yachid, and the Rabbim argue on him, but he would say that Allah is like him. But that means that the attribution of Rav's position is that ain't Allah Rabbi Muna, and that's why we see that the Ain Mishpah Ner Mitzvah quotes Allah by Shmuel, who says ain't Allah Rabbi Muna. It's really the position of Rav according to Rabbi Vibi. And that's how we pass, and that's what Tosfot says over here. Dama Rav ain't Allah Rabbi Muna. Shamar Shachuzer the Rosh v'chein Allah. Dein Sarich Lachzor the Rosh. Allah ki Rav bi Surei. Damar Gain v'Rabbi Yochanan Kai Kavatei. And Rabbi Yochanan holds like him in the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah with regards to the kiyot that I mentioned before, that you can blow the ninth kiyot over the entirety of the day, and there's no requirement that you do within a fixed amount of time, or if you can finish all the kiyot. Rabbi Yochanan argues on that. And then if you look later on, it's not clear what the circumstance is here, but it's very interesting. It says, When he's in the middle of Kriyat Shema, he's in the latter brachot of Kriyat Shema, Shimamtin, that he waits there to say all of those items, and then only afterwards finishes it off. So he clearly would have enough time to finish all of the Kriyat Shema, all of Birkot Kriyat Shema, yet he waits there and only finishes off afterwards in order to facilitate his ability to answer with the Tzibur, Kedusha, Baruchu, and Yehoshme Rabba. It's not clear what he's answering to, because Baruchu is before that point in time in Davening, and Kedusha and Yehoshme Rabba, Yehoshme Rabba can be before or after, but Kedusha is afterwards. Um, it's not clear exactly what he's answering to, but what the Tosfot is pointing out is that the Reis stood there in the middle of the Mint Yetziv, and not only did he, was he not silent, he spoke. He actually answered other parts of Davini, and that he waited there longer than the period of time it would take for him to finish the entirety of the Kriyachma. Nevertheless, that wasn't a problem, because we passed him like Rav, we passed him like Rabbi Yochanan, that you have the entirety of the day to complete this. You do not, you're not bound by this idea that you have to be to have the intervals be shorter than the amount of time it would take to complete the entire thing. So if you look in Aloha, in Tafresh Tzadi, Sifhei, Shukhanarach, when he quotes this Aloha, he says, Karas Sirugim, when he reads the Sirugim, then he stops and waits, and then he goes back to finish it off in the place that he left off. Even if you wait the amount of time to finish the entirety of this, you are Yotze. So that's exactly what we just said. The Lacha is like Rav, according to the position that ain't a Lacha Grabi Muna. Haga, the Ramah says over here, 
Even if you speak in the interval, not only if you're silent in the interval, but even if you speak in the interval, nevertheless, we chastise, we dissuade people from doing that, because technically it's not a hefsek, because you already had the bracha bichal on the first action that you took, the first reading that you took, or the first kiyah that you did, so therefore the bracha can continue to manifest itself even when you speak, but the Ramah says, better not to speak, because really the bracha is chal on the entirety of the mitzvah. So you really should complete the entire mitzvah without speaking. So better not to speak. But if you do speak, as long as you did it after you at least accomplished a portion of the mitzvah, then you do not have to go back and make the bracha again. That's the way you pass Allah, It's true in Kriyat Shema as well, except there is an afkamina. The Mishnah Brewer here doesn't mention it, but by Kriyat Shema, he does mention there's a big barrel over there, that it depends why you had to stop. If you stop voluntarily, then this halacha applies. Then you have this halacha that you can continue whenever you please, and that you don't have to have to worry about the amount of time or the spacing of the interval. Again, you should be silent. You shouldn't be interrupting with anything else in the interim, but you have as much time as you want. On the other hand, if you are forced to stop because, for whatever reason, say, for instance, you go to a place, Makoma Tinofet, a place where you may not read Kriyat Shema, or because you had to go to the bathroom and you couldn't read Kriyashma there, then when you have an involuntary uh, interruption, then this halacha does kick in. And then you have to worry about the interruption and whether you have to start again, and that has to do with the duration of the interruption. So if it's an involuntary interruption, then the duration does matter. But when it's a voluntary interruption, then the duration of the interval is not relevant. And now the Gemara continues over here. Tarabanan, Hishmit ba sofer otiot o psukim. If the Megillah is missing some letters or psukim, vikarana kore, kimiturgumana mitargem, if he reads them like the way that the mitargem, like the translator does, the translator does it by heart. So here the person's reading the Megillah, he realizes that there are letters missing or pasuk missing, so he just reads it by heart. Yatsa. Then you're yotse. Meitave, is that really true? Hayuba otiot mitushtashot. If you have certain letters that are not so clear, or they are torn, if their outline, if their shape is noticeable, or you can tell that that was the letter, then it's fine. Not as pasul. So over here you're telling me that you can read a pasuk even if it doesn't exist, and now you're telling me that you can't read it if the letters aren't clear, then it's not kasher. You just said before, if it's not there at all, it's kasher. Now you're telling me that you need some, if the latest letters are faded, then it's problematic. When it says, it depends how much of the Megillah looks like this. If you have a small portion of the Megillah that looks like this, then it doesn't matter. You can read Baal You can fill in Baal whether it's missing, or whether the letters are faded, or whatever it is, you can read it Baal Then, If the entire Megillah looks like this, then you have a problem. And you can't do that. So, Tarnabanan, Hishpit, if the reader left out a pasuk, he shouldn't say, I'll finish the whole thing. I'll go back and fill in the pasuk I missed. You have to go back and read sequentially from that point. That's the problem about Korea Mafreya. You can't read out of order. You have to read in order. This is especially problematic by the Megillah. The person goes to show. They're already halfway through the Megillah. I'll listen to the second half of the Megillah with the Zibor. And then I'll read the first half afterwards. You have to hear the Megillah from beginning to end. You have to hear it in order. You can't hear it 
out of order. You have to hear it sequentially. And that's the requirement that we have by Megillah, that a person come has to be there from the beginning of the Megillah all the way through. We do have the position that Mr. Burr brings down the Lalocha, that if you are following along with a Chumash, and for whatever reason you don't hear some of the words that the Koreh is reading, then you have the status like a Koreh in general. A Koreh in general, if you m- words are missing from the Megillah, you can read those words by heart. So to a person listening to the person who reads it, if he doesn't hear the words, it's not good enough, but he can make up for that by doing it himself. So that's why he says that he brings down the Mishra. That's only when the winner's reading speaks in between. A person who's listening, for whatever reason, he says something, now he doesn't hear the Kriya from the Koreh. Even if you're missing one word, then you're not Yotze, that's our Hakbada, to hear every word of the Megillah. Everybody should have a chumash in front of them when you're reading the Megillah. Because when all the youngsters are making noise when they get to Haman, sometimes you miss a couple of words. There's so much noise that you miss the word Haman, you miss the words that are around Haman. You can read Baal Peh from the chumash, but the avad, your yotze, by the fact that you read it from the chumash, to fill in the pieces that you didn't hear from the koreh because of the noise of haman. So that's what the Mishabur says, that just like by the koreh, if you're missing some of the words from the Megillah, you can fill them in baal peh, so too, someone's listening to Megillah and misses some of the words, you can read them baal peh in order to fill in. Baal peh meaning read them from chumash. So it's not mitoch sefer to fill in what you missed. But of course, it has to be in order. You have to fill them in, and then you have to continue to listen to the chazan, what he reads afterwards. Right now, the Gemara continues. Someone who dozes off is Yotzei. What's this case of dozing off? So, He is asleep, but not asleep. He's awake, but not awake. So, similar to the Gemara we saw in Pesachim, with regards to the Chabura for the Korban of Pesach. So, the Kari Levani. If you call him, he answers. You say his name, he answers. If you ask him a complicated question, he won't be able to answer you. He won't be able to explain it to you. But if you tell him the answer, he'll be able to acknowledge whether that's correct or not. So a person is a, in a state of dozing off where he's not completely out. He is still some sort of recognition of what's transpiring around him, but he needs to be prompted in order to recognize or to be able to speak out. So he can answer as long as it's not complicated. And if he's prompted, he'll know what to answer but he's not going to be able to, on his own, provide explanation. So if you're in that state of being, then you can be, you would say, the Megillah. If he's writing it, if he's being Doreshit, or he's correcting it, then if he has Kavanah, he's Yotzei the Megillah. If he doesn't have Kavanah, he's not Yotzei. We spoke about this yesterday with regards to the Mishnah. So, Echidami, what's the case here? Ika, Mesader, Psuka, Psuka, because of love, he's going Pasuk by Pasuk and writing it. Kikiven Libo, my havik. So wait a minute, when he then is mekavin his heart, and he does it, what is the din? Alpehu. He's reading it by heart. Ella, dechta psuka psuka. No, he writes puzzle by puzzle, vikorile, and then he reads it. Are you yotze with that? The alok is like the one who says it has to all be there. That you only have to read from ishudi, tzricha sheik tuva kula. Even according to the one who says that you only have to read from Yishiudeh in order to be Yotzeh, the mitzvah of Kriyata Megillah, he still believes that the entire Megillah must be written. So even if you're going to go pasuk by pasuk, it's not enough 
to just read it pasuk by pasuk because you don't have the whole Megillah already written out. So then how is he Yotzi over here? This person is writing it pasuk by pasuk. How is he doing that? Uh, he has another Megillah in front of him. He's reading pasuk by pasuk with that Megillah. He's using that as his reference. He has a reference book or a reference Megillah in front of him. He reads pasuk in the Megillah and then he writes the pasuk in the Megillah. Reads a pasuk, writes a pasuk. So there he has the whole Megillah in front of him. And if he's Kivan Libo, he can be Yotze with that, with the midst of the Kriya from the whole Megillah. Where it says, Let's say that this supports the position of Rabbi Barachana. Not allowed to write anything in a Sefer, Torah, unless you read from the Ktav. You have to be read from a written Ktav and then copied. You can't do it by heart. Where it says that's not a proof. Our case here in the Mishnah is not a proof to that because maybe that's just the case in the Mishnah. Meaning that the Mishnah doesn't require you to read it mitoch haktav. It just says if there's a case, if it happens to be a case where you read it mitoch haktav, then you are yotze in that case. So it's not telling you that that's an obligation. It's just telling you if such a case arises, then you can be yotze the Megillah. So gufa, amar rabbi rachan, amar rabbi yochan, asulichtov otachat. Now I'll write anything unless you're copying it out of something that's written in front of you. There's a case by Rabbi Meir. We know that Rabbi Meir actually is a sofer himself. He went to intercalate the calendar in Asia. Here, Asia is likely not Asia. Here, it's not discussed by the Rishonim here, but it's discussed in other places in the Rishonim. Because in general, we only do Ba'aber in Eretz Yisrael itself. So it's likely that Asya is in Eretz Yisrael, or you have to say that the Gadol Ador was out in Asya. And sometimes if the Gadol Ador is out there, then they allow you to do this outside of Eretz Yisrael. There was no Megillah there. He wrote the Megillah by heart, and then they used that to read to be Yotze, the mitzvah of Megillah. So again, Rabbi Meir is a Sofer himself, he's a Lavlar. He learned by Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Shmuel. That's a Gemara in Eruvin that discusses that. So over here, they didn't have Megillah, so he went ahead and he wrote it by heart, with the Megillah. So that's against this position of Rabbi Barchano. I'm Rabbi Bo, shiny Rabbi Meir, to Mekayim Bey. Rabbi Meir is different because with him it says, Va'afapecha yashru negdecha. So at the beginning of the Pasuk is, Va'yu enecha, that your eyes should be rode me negdecha, should see what is opposite you. And then over here, wrote me me minochach. And then it says, And that your eyelids should look directly in front of you. So that means that it's as if it's right in front of him. That's what they're learning from the Pasuk, that even though it wasn't written, he has what they call photographic memory, but it's as if he can look in his eyelids and it's as if he's looking at a tab that's written in front of him. So it's as if it has the written word in front of him. That refers to Divrei Torah, because it says in another place in Mishlei, Will you set your eyes upon it? Or the other translation is, if you look away from it, and it's no longer there, it disappears. That's referring to Divrei Torah. That if you leave Divrei Torah, if you move away from them, they will leave you as well. So here you see that the idea of that you have to keep your eyes constantly focused on it. 
Despite the fact for Rabbi Meir, it still was that way. So for a normal person, if they glance away, then they forget, and it's no longer there. That's why you have to do mitoch haktav, because if you look away, it won't work. Nevertheless, for Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir was exceptional that even when he didn't have the ktav in front of him, it's as if the ktav was in front of him. So when it says, Rav Chista, Ashkechid Rav Chananel, Tavakotav Sfarim, Shlomi Naktav. That he was writing Sfarim, not from the written word. Amrlei Ruiyak, Kola Torah, Kola Dikadeva, Picha. Says, look, you are a Tamid Chacham, you are an Adam Gadol, and you are Ra'oi to write the entire Torah. You still have to follow the words of the Chachamim. You have to, like Rabbi Barachana says, write from Mitoch Aktav, even though you know everything. The fact that he compliments him and says the whole Torah should be written, you could write the whole Torah. Alpeh means that he knew them and he had the same status as Rabbi Meir. And nevertheless, he's saying that you can't do this. So, Vaha Rabbi Meir Tav. So then how are we going to explain Rabbi Meir? Rabbi Meir, if he has the same status as Rabbi Hanano, and yet Rabbi Chista criticized him, then why was Rabbi Meir allowed to read it without it being written in front of him? They had no choice. They were in a place where there was no, but it, no Ktav. They had no other way to write the Megillah. So that was a Shat Atchak. So he did it in that way. That's not L'Chathchila. That's B'Diavad. B'Diavad, if you wrote it from Baal Peh, then it's fine. But L'Chathchila, you should write him Itoch Ktav. So Bayi was Matir, the Bey Barchabu, who were so free to write their Tfilin and not reading them out of the Ktav. Kiman, who's that like? Ki hai tano, it's like this tano, the tano rabiru mer mishum rabbeinu, tfilenu mezuzot, nichtavot shalom inaktav. You can write tfilenu mezuzot, not directly from something that's written. Vein tzrichim sirtut, and they do not require the etching of the lines in them to write them based on the lines that are etched in. Vehilchatah, the loch is, and salocha mishim isinai, tfilen ain tzrichim sirtut, tfilen do not require the etching of the lines to write them. Mezuzot tzrichim sirtut, but mezuzot do require sirtut. They can be written not from something that is in writing. My time, migras grisin. This is something that is shkurabafiakol. These are partial that everybody knows. And since everybody knows them and everybody knows them by heart, then it's not something that you're going to make a mistake about. It's not something they have to do mitocha ktav. We've spoken about this in other contexts. This also has another nakaminalalocha, which is that you can read kriyachma by heart. Even though generally something that is mina Torah, shibichtav, you have to read mitoch haktav. Many times people read kriyachma by heart. Why is that allowed? Because of exactly this point. Because migras grisina, something that everybody knows, something that everybody is familiar with, they're not going to make mistakes in it, and therefore it's permitted to read it shalom inaktav. Now again, in all these cases, it's better to do a mitoch haktav, both when you're reading kriyachma for davening, and as well as when you're writing tefillin and mizuzot, it's better to do it mitoch haktav. Right now, we're going to finish off with the last piece of the Mishnah, which is Hagtak Tuvah Bissam. So these are different inks that are pasul to be used. It says, Sam is Samo. So here, the words in the Mishnah are in Hebrew. So now the Gemara needs to translate them into Aramaic to understand what the Mishnah meant. So Sam is Samo, which is some sort of paint or dye. Sikra, Amar Rabbechana, Sikrata Shma. Sikra is the equivalent of Sikrata, which is translated in English as vermilion. Rashi over here says it is a red dye or paint that they use actually to color the shutters on the windows. Kumus is the equivalent of kuma, which is some sort of gum or sap that is used. 
כאן כתום is חרטה דושקפה, that is the black of the shoemakers, that they used to blacken the shoes. Over here we have, there's a machlok between Rashi and Tosafot as to what that is, or the translation of that is. Rashi says that that's armint, and Tosafot disagrees and says that it can't be armint over here, because the katav umachag abisotaktiv sheyacholim chot, it has to be a ktav that you're able to erase. And dio that has kankantum on it cannot be erased. So therefore it must be that kankantum is not our mint because we use our mint all the time and we see that it gets erased and it's not uh, kankantum. So he says that it must be like what the Rashbam says that kankantum over here is vitrilio. So that he translates it different than Rashi about what it is. Others suggest that kankantum is some sort of copper-based ink. So as Tosfut mentions over there by the Rashbam that it's green that the actual kankatum was green and not black, and he says maybe when you crush it up, it turns black. Diftera. Now, we're talking about not the inks, but the paper or the parchment upon which it's written. What is diftera? Diftera is the miliach. It was worked over with salt, vikimiach, and also with flour, flour soaked in water. But it was not put into the gallnuts. Niar. Niar that you can't use is machaka. Machaka Rashi says is minasavim asuya de devek, or it's really like uh, papyrus, a type of paper that was put together. Neither of those are kasher. What you have to use is cloth. And again, Tosafot discusses over here ardio, as well as the cloth that we have. He says I'll say for dio perish or benutamshe dio shalanu dio gamur about shalafatzim lo avi dio. That our dio, our ink that we use today is the proper ink, but if you put the gallnuts in it, then it's not good ink. And he says that, he learns out from the Gemara in the second paragraph of Gitin, because it says, Bechol Kodvim, you'll have to write with any type of ink, as long as it's something shel kayama, it's something, something that will last. And over there, the Gemara says, what does that come to include? It comes to even include Afatzim. So it shows you there that afatzim is separate from the ink that we have. So that means that shmamina ikar dio does not have afatzim in it, does not have gallnuts in it. That's number one. That's Rabbeinu Tam Shita. The reason Rabbeinu Tam is saying that is because most inks did have afatzim in it. He says, Vashkanazim eshivalo, tahatamayri b'mayim shishoro behem afatzim. That's talking about water that was soaked in gallnuts. Oto shasumi gufa afatzim, ink that is made from the gallnuts themselves, vadai hutov. Then it's definitely good. Nevertheless, Tosfut says, I think that what the Rabbeinu Tam says, that what we use is the main dio. And the reason he says is because the ink that we use has to, the Gemara says, have shvira, possibility of cracking. And if you look, if you use the ink with afatzim in it, it doesn't crack. But our ink that we use with our dio does crack. And therefore, that is the proper way to use it. The other thing Tosfut says is that our cloth today we don't use afatzim. We don't use gallnuts in order to work over or to tan the klafim today. So how is it that our klaf is kasher? So again, the Rabbeinu Tam says that the seed, the lime that we put in, is the equivalent of the afatzim. It does the same thing as the afatzim, and therefore that is tanning the skins to the point where it's classified as klaf. So it's interesting here. Both times Rabbeinu Tam jumps in one time to say that even though the Gemara here requires afits to work over the klaf, even though we don't use it, it's okay. Because we have something else. We have seed. We use lime instead. 
And with regards to the ink, he says that the afetzim doesn't belong in it. Even though that was the common practice in the day, he says it doesn't belong in the ink. So two things that Rabbeinu Tam says, and the two things that we actually follow from the Rabbeinu Tam in terms of working over the cloth and the dio that we use today. All right. Now it says that ktav ktav ashurit has to be written in Hebrew. Because it says, it has to be written, the ktiva of the Shon HaKodesh. How do we know that it has to be that way? It says here by the Megillah, that she wrote it down. And it says in Irmiyahu. This is a case in Irmiyahu where Irmiyahu was incarcerated. And he has his Talmud, Baruch Menerya, write down a Megillah. A Megillah which is the equivalent of probably what was Eicha. He has them write down a Megillah and go read it to the people to tell them what's going to happen when they're on a, one of their fast days to Yerushalayim and how they're going to be destroyed. So then he reads it to the people and then the Sofrim call him in and say they should, we should read it again to them. They ask him, where did you get this Megillah from? Baruch says to them, And I was writing it on the book with ink. So you see that the proper type of Ktiva is Allah Sefer's on Klaf with Dio with ink. So, so too, the Ktiva by Megillah Tester has that same requirement of Allah Sefer Bidyo. Just like when Baruch writes down what Yirmiyahu was saying, he's listening to him and writing it directly down, Allah Sefer Bidyo. So too, that's the way that the Megillah must be written, Allah Sefer Bidyo. Okay, we'll stop over here.